Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Around here, I think it's been well documented over the years, we're just really big fans of Georgia wide receiver George Pickens. That I think in our time of doing this show, going back however many years it's been, six years, something like that, I don't know that anyone's been more entertaining than Pickens has been in a Georgia uniform. He is just really a sight to behold when he's been healthy. And that's why, obviously, go go back to last spring, that we were so disappointed when Pickens suffered that knee injury because obviously you hate it for the player and you try to think about him, but you also hate it for yourself because you're going to miss a guy that's not only a key component to a potential championship chase for Georgia, but also someone who's, as I said before, just really fun to watch, really, uh, you know, a, a sensational highlight reel at, at times. It's like you can't take your eyes off picking. Sometimes it's for great reasons. Sometimes it's for less than stellar reasons. But he's always going to earn your attention when he's on a field, when he's on a sideline, when, you know, he, he's a part of the action. And so this year, it was one of those things where you just sort of had to learn to manage the disappointment of knowing that for at least a while, if not the majority and if not all the season, you're going to be without George Pickens. But here we are in the month of November, and the possibility still exists that maybe, I'm not going to put a percentage on this or or discuss what's more likely to happen than not, because frankly, I just simply don't know. I don't know that anyone does. But we are in the month of November, and the possibility does still exist in some form or fashion that George Pickens might still play before this year is out. We have a lot of circumstantial evidence that supports that. We've seen him travel to a couple of games away from Athens this year. I think he was in Jacksonville. I saw him myself uh, before the Auburn game. He's been spotted by the media at practice uh, a few times, and that's kind of you know running those air routes and you know not not really doing anything in the direction of taking contact, but but still doing something at practice more than just a sideline observer, a, a partial participant at least in what's going on. And so with all that said, I thought it was interesting yesterday to hear Georgia coach Kirby Smart when asked about, okay, exactly what is George Pickens doing? And what would the evaluation be like for Pickens if eventually he was kind of cleared to play? Smart says a lot here. And, you know, you may be left to to consider, well, is this good news or not? There's one part of this that I don't want you to miss, and it's almost like a hidden subtext to all this with Pickens. But first, here is Kirby Smart just kind of breaking down where things stand with Pickens at the moment. And maybe you might notice a little bit of good news here. This is Kirby on George. It'd be just like those other guys. Yarnell, Taki, uh, JT coming off his injury, uh, Dom coming off his injury. There's a, a, a process that has to happen. You don't come back from an injury and then you jump in and jump back right where you were. It's hard because you have to get you have to get uh, uh, all the reps, the volume of reps, the work. Um, there's only so many reps to give on actual execution. So uh, Dom's been down on the scout team this week getting a great picture. Um, George has done a little more work this week than he has in the past. We've had George at practice, catching routes on air, the things that y'all seen. But that's really been it. He's He's done more competitive periods in terms of uh, scouts and, and looking and, and, and getting confidence and uh, able to go over and go against some DBs and things. But he's not he's not taking reps with the offense, not with the one and two offense, because we don't know when he's going to be ready, and those reps are too valuable. We, we can't give them to him and not have another player uh, that's going to play in the game. But when he's cleared to play in the game, he'll be able to start getting some of those reps. I, I don't know a timeline. I wish I did. So let me just say this one more time. I don't know if what Smart says there indicates that Pickens is likely to play again at some point this year or if he's not. 
Um, I'm just not smart enough to know that, nor do I know that anyone truly knows that right now. Some of this kind of stuff is about how the recovery progresses, I would imagine. However, the fact that Pickens is still hanging around, the fact that he's still seen at practice, the fact that his workload is seemingly increasing, the fact that he's traveled a couple times to games away from Athens, the fact that he's been commonly spotted on the Georgia sideline during the game, you know, the fact that he's hanging around would lead you to believe it's at least still a possibility in his own mind. It's at least still a possibility in the collective mind of the program that George Pickens might play again. I don't have to tell you how big of a deal that would be for a guy who always seems to wait to, you know, make an impact. We used to jokingly say that you know how like in the old days Reggie Jackson was Mr. October I've always kind of jokingly said that George Pickens was kind of Mr. January because he played great in this past year's Peach Bowl he obviously played unbelievably well in the Sugar Bowl going back 2019 there's just kind of a penchant for like late season drama that George seems to be able to provide so that'd be obviously a really cool thing and you'd love to have him back but beyond that here is something really really interesting I think that you got to point out about everything that Kirby Smart just says there like listen to the actual just face value text of smart statement that George Pickens has participated in some what he calls competitive periods and he kind of alludes to this and I think you're left to believe well if it's not working with the first team if it's not working with the second team it must be working with the scout team and smart kind of alludes to that there as well and mentions Dominic Blaylock kind of in that same category do you know how valuable it is that a guy like George Pickens who has every reason to do what so many folks around college football have done over the last year and just kind of opt out or at least sort of mentally check out and think about the next phase of his life. The fact that Pickens is not doing that, the fact that concurrent to that, seemingly Dominic Blaylock is not doing that either. The fact that these two guys right now are willing to say, hey, we're not healthy enough to play yet. We're not healthy enough to get number one reps or second team reps during practice. We're not quite healthy enough to do that yet. But we'll go on scout team. We'll go play down there. We'll go play competitively right there. Do you know how valuable that is? Now, on on one level, it's kind of valuable because obviously for an opponent like Tennessee on Saturday, the better you get with your wide receivers on your scout team, the better look that gives you for getting ready for what Tennessee is going to do offensively. And I've said before that I expect Tennessee to be a big challenge for Georgia on Saturday. This is a little bit different kind of opponent than Georgia's for the most part played here this year. The wide receiver play for the Vols is a reason why. I think Smart has also alluded to this week that with so many wide receiver injuries, it's just been hard to get a good look on scout team because you don't have enough bodies to go down there. Well, if you've got George Pickens and Dominic Blaylock, two guys that could have been all SEC wide receivers here this year, and at least one of them probably would have been, uh, if not both, if you've got guys like that playing in your scout team, then suddenly it's not quite so much a problem anymore of not having quality receivers. You've got really good receivers. They're not healthy enough to play in a game, but the fact they're participating some in a scout situation, at least in kind of a maybe not tackle to the ground type you know scenario, I'm sure. Uh, but but the, the fact that they're participating in that probably gives you a little bit better look for Tennessee. But beyond that, beyond that, here's what becomes really, really important. And this is the thing that you cannot overlook. Georgia right now is the number one team in the country. And the perception of UGA is it's not particularly close between where Georgia is and where everybody else is in terms of the chase for the national championship. And obviously a huge reason why that's true is because of the overwhelming talent level that Georgia can deploy on any individual Saturday. Georgia just has more good quality players than almost all of its opponents, than almost all of its potential opponents. Very few teams come close to rivaling the talent level that that Georgia has. But that's not the only thing required to win a national championship. That's certainly the most tangible aspect 
of chasing a championship, but the intangible qualities that a team needs to possess are just as important, even if they can't be measured. And sometimes they're invisible. They can't even really be seen, but they do matter. And the one thing that I think you've heard Kirby Smart say a couple times this year is the idea of buy-in. Hey, what impresses you about your defense? I love the way these guys buy in, B-U-Y-I-N. I love the buy-in that this team has right now. And the one thing I've tried to tell you all over and over when Smart has alluded to the buy-in that he's getting from his team is, is that buy-in is not a given in the current state of college football. Now, I realize I'm going to come across like, you know, old man on the porch here, crotchety old dude, sounding 100 years old, complaining about kids these days. But y'all, look around for a moment. We showed you the video yesterday of AR-15 Anthony Richardson basically joking about a knee injury sustained while dancing the night before his team played a game in which they were trying to avoid its fifth loss. I don't know what that is, but that doesn't feel like total buy-in to the program if after suffering a knee injury, your response to that is to kind of make light of it on social media. I'm not picking on the kid here, but I'm just kind of pointing out that whatever total commitment, total buy-in is, it doesn't feel like that. Uh, Let's think here for a moment about what's going on in Texas. Now, I'd love to play this audio for you. The fact of the matter is it's so explicit that I can't. Even with beeps, it would just be one long beep. But there was some leaked audio that maybe some of you have seen. I'm I'm not even going to put a link to it uh, when I post the show just because it's it's so profane. It's sort of beyond what we typically would even, you know, come close to playing around here. But it's Bo Davis, uh, who a lot of you know, you know, working on the Texas staff now, just laying into the Longhorns. I guess this is on the bus leaving the stadium about, you know, they're laughing and joking on the bus after having gotten beaten by Iowa State. And Davis is just laying into them. And he's just like so frustrated by guys that just don't seem to care about what's going on. He talks about, you know, some of y'all go in the transfer portal and basically good riddance. And he uses the F word probably about 200 times. Uh, it's like a Martin Scorsese movie truncated down to about 90 seconds. Davis just laying in to these Texas players for apparently just not being all that concerned about getting embarrassed by Iowa State in a season that by what you would expect for Texas standards to be far below what you would want them to do. And this is just the frustration that some coaches have by the fact that there is nothing automatic about getting buy-in on a team. But look at Georgia right now. Look at the level of buy-in that exists for this team. The level of selflessness that I think defines this team, the fact that no one's getting the stats that they could possibly get playing somewhere else, but everybody has a chance to get more team success than they could ever hope for playing on a different team. That's the defining characteristic of UGA right now. And the fact that a guy like George Pickens, who has every reason to say, hey, I'm just going to chill out. I'm just going to wait. I may go to the NFL after this year's done, or I may play I may do whatever else, but there's no need to rush back to this football field here this year. I can just kick back and relax and let my knee recover. But Pickens doesn't say that. Now, maybe he plays this year, maybe he doesn't, but he's a participant in what's going on because the kind of culture that Georgia seems to have, and obviously I'm not behind closed doors. Who knows what's really happening behind the scenes? But certainly the vibe that I get from looking in on the outside is it's the kind of culture that creates its own contagious energy that when people feel good about a chemistry situation, when they feel good about being around other people, they're drawn towards that. There's an attraction there. There's a magnetism there that pulls people in. And the fact that George Pickens and Dominic Blaylock, too, who's been hurt and I'm sure frustrated about all of that. In fact, I have reason to believe that Dominic is pretty frustrated about the fact that he's you know, had a hard time getting back to, to full health again. Sometimes injuries linger. But these guys are doing everything they can. They're participating in, in, in scout team. They're hanging around the team. They are going to make a contribution towards the win, whether they're able to play in the game or not. 
That's the kind of thing that you shouldn't miss. This truly is a big team, little me type vibe going on around UGA. And who's to say if it ultimately results in a national championship, that's still yet to be determined. But don't discount all of that, that attitude, that selflessness, as a big reason why Georgia's currently number one. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Good to have you with us today, no matter how you get to us. Live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We're also on the dognation.com homepage. We're on the Dog Nation app. I know we've had a little bit of an issue with the first and 15 the last couple of days, but we got that squared away, and we'll be good to go uh, here in the future. So apologize for all of that, uh, but happy to have you with us nonetheless. Fun, busy show for us coming up here in just a little bit. We're going to talk to Mike Griffith, and Mike's obviously been – paying close attention to what's been going on at Georgia practice here this week and so we'll look forward to uh, getting more from Mike on all of that and we will also ask Mike Mike lived in Knoxville for a long time many of you are are very well aware of how long Mike has been around the uh, program there at Tennessee and in Knoxville Uh, so we're going to ask him what does it feel like when you have that cold weather when you have that uh that that situation around uh what's going to be going on on saturday with the with the 30s and the 40 degree temperatures does that make an impact on the game is that a benefit for tennessee that's obviously uh come up here so we'll talk more about that coming up on the program here today that's coming up with mike griffith here in just a uh, little bit of time also before that i want to get ready to go around the doghouse and around the doghouse is furnished today by our friends at rooms to go and i want to play a little piece of audio f- for you from ESPN analyst Kirk Herbstreit. I find this to be pretty interesting. What Herbstreit talks about here, and this is from the ESPN, you know, they do a, a series of podcasts throughout the week, and they have different hosts on different days, and Herbstreit's one of those guys. And Herbstreit was on there. Now, this is not a point being made about Georgia, but it is a very interesting, I think, window into something we've discussed quite a bit. Why is it that a campaign like hashtag JD to NYC why would something like that have a chance of being successful in a year like this? In most years, not only would a defensive player have no shot at being mentioned for the Heisman, an interior defensive lineman who doesn't exactly collect a bunch of stats would have truly no chance at all about being a part of the Heisman discussion. It just simply wouldn't happen. We've said a million times before that this season is really unlike most seasons in college football. This season, because of the unique aspects of it, creates an opportunity for a guy like Jordan Davis that might not normally exist. And some of you have been a little slow to believe me on that. But this is from this week on Kirk Herbstreet about the Heisman Trophy. Listen to Herbstreet's description of the national landscape right now and then ask yourself, in a situation like this, isn't it more possible than ever that a guy like Jordan Davis could truly step into this discussion? This is Herbstreet from an ESPN podcast this week. Take any player in the country right now, put them in 2012, 2015, mm-hmm. 2016. Like, who would be a Heisman candidate? We're late in the year now. We got oh, yeah. four weeks of football left to be played. Usually there's there's somebody's emerged. I keep saying that Caleb Williams, because how dynamic he is, and because he's, he hasn't done anything yet against the big team except Texas. It was a big stage, even though Texas isn't a great team. But he has, like, Heisman moments feel to his playmaking ability. And I think on a stage like Baylor, Iowa State, Oklahoma State in a Big 12 championship, he's going to be afforded to maybe start to climb up. But right now, dude, Matt Corral, Kenneth Walker, C.J. Stroud, uh, Bryce Young, uh, 
Sam Howell, like Jordan I, Davis. I, I, I mean, yeah, you could name anybody that was yeah. a guy. They, 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 they really don't have a campaign going right now. First of all, shouts out to Matt Barry, the ESPN uh, host, who I find more and more reasons to like each and every day. But Barry throws Jordan Davis's name into that. But but that's not the point of this. The point of this is is that Herb Street, in talking about Caleb Williams, says a guy like Williams, who wasn't even the starting quarterback for his team to begin the year, could insert himself into the Heisman conversation here in the month of November because nobody else is. Now, Herb Street is the most plugged-in voice in the entire sport. No one has, whether you agree with him or not, no one has a bigger platform than what Kirk Herb Street has. And so he's the host of ESPN's College Game Day. He looks around over the entire sport and says, we are in November, and there is no front-runner for the Heisman Trophy yet. That's all you need to know right there, folks. That's all you need to know. The door is open for somebody. And in a year in which so far there hasn't been a traditional quarterback, Matt Corral was supposed to step up, didn't really happen. Uh, and I th- at this point in time, it's not going to happen. Uh, Kenneth Walker, the running back from Michigan State, they just lost this past Saturday. Bryce Young from Alabama, have you watched the Crimson Tide as of late? I mean, he's still a part of the discussion, but I mean, let's be, let's be real here. This isn't Matt Jones right now. This isn't Tuatungo Vailoa right now playing for the Alabama Crimson Tide. He's not really inserting himself and asserting himself the way that you potentially could. Maybe Caleb Williams still does that, but the fact of the matter is, is that you know Oklahoma right now got some issues apart from Caleb Williams and that might be the kind of thing that gets him dinged even if he does go out and play sensationally so with all that said do not discount the possibility that Davis who is a part of this we showed you the Fox Sports tweet yesterday you hear Matt Barry right now you've heard Reese Davis you've heard Paul Feinbaum you've heard almost every voice that matters mention Jordan Davis at least once y'all this is happening now he probably still needs another moment or two to go along with all the praise that he gets from Kirby Smart and the other Georgia players he's clearly a representative for this Georgia defense right now probably still needs a little bit of help but this is more real right now than it's ever been Herb Street's words give an indication of that now one more point on this real quick here's another way you can know how real this is is that suddenly Alabama who Boy, doesn't it seem like they just want to copy Georgia on every little thing. I mean, doesn't it seem like whatever Georgia has, Alabama wants to try to find a way to get that to. Oh, man, they just they see us having fun with hashtag JD to NYC. And all of a sudden now, they're trying to do their own thing for this related to Will Anderson, who you won't hear me say a bad word about Anderson. Anderson's a terrific player. He's a dominant pass rusher. And if Georgia plays Alabama, if Alabama will stop goofing around and actually win the SEC West, if Georgia plays Alabama in the SEC championship game, you got to know where Will Anderson is at all times. You got to do a great job of blocking him. He's a game-changing pass rusher. I don't have any beef with Will Anderson. But here we are a day late, dollar short. All of a sudden, Alabama's trying to make that big push for Will Anderson to win the Heisman Trophy because they see how much fun we're having with Jordan Davis. Let me show you one example of this. 24-7 Sports showing a quote here from Henry Toto, the Alabama linebacker. Charlie Potter is the reporter that got the quote. Uh, but from 24-7 Sports, here's Toto's quote about Will Anderson. You guys see it every single Saturday. Will's all over the place making plays. I think Will should be up there for the Heisman. I really do. Uh, so all of a sudden now you got reporters asking Alabama players, but one of their guys, defensive guy winning the Heisman. Let me tell you something. The Jordan Davis train has left the station weeks ago, if not months ago. Uh, if there's a defensive player winning this year's Heisman trophy, it is Jordan Davis. Cause frankly, the Georgia defense is just better than the Alabama defense. But if you want to know how good of an idea this was pushing Jordan Davis for the Heisman, if you want to know how well received it has been 
all you have to do is look a few miles to the west. The fact that Tuscaloosa is like, yeah, maybe we should have done that too. Let's see if we can, you know, uh, haphazardly uh, fits and starts here. Let's see if we can get Will Anderson a part of this conversation now that Jordan Davis is so clearly emerged as a true uh, candidate for the Heisman Trophy. Let's see if we can do the same thing with Will Anderson. That's all you need to know. Alabama, day late, dollar short once again. Seems like those folks never stop trying to copy what's happening at UGA. And that is around the doghouse. And I'm obviously partially kidding about that. But but the overall point, I am being serious about it, that I do think the Jordan Davis thing has worked so well that now Alabama is trying to get involved with all that. But the point is, it's around the doghouse. It's furnished today by our friends at Rooms to Go. And obviously, love sitting around a nice home, especially during the holiday season. You know, put a fire in the fireplace. You're cozy at night and comfortable furniture that looks good is obviously a big part of that experience and that's where rooms to go can really step in and do some great things for you and you can find them online rooms to go.com or you can stop by and do some shopping right there in the, the the showroom floor and i you know i like to go visit the stores because i like to sit on the furniture or lay on it put my hands on it feel the texture of it i think that's all really important because that's the best way at least for me to kind of get an idea of what it's what's going to be like once it's in my home whether it's dining room furniture or living room furniture bedroom furniture a lot of outdoor stuff or stuff for your kids rooms to go can do all that for you whether it's an individual piece of furniture or an entire uh room obviously that's what they're famous for they're called rooms to go for a reason you can check them out online rooms to go.com that's the word too, spelled t-o rooms to go.com or you can stop by and see them in store there as well make sure you check out rooms to go there today and it's great to have them furnishing around the doghouse for us here today there as well all right we appreciate you being with us here on dog nation daily here today let me also mention this very quick before i say hello to mike griffith we got a couple of very big things that i want to make you aware of very very fast here that coming up in a couple of weeks we're going to do something that we used to do a lot that we haven't done as much lately for a number of reasons but I can't wait to tell you about a big chance for us to get back together at a place that we've been before very, very soon. I kind of hinted at this on Twitter the other day. So hopefully some big news coming up on that front here very, very quickly. And also, um, a lot of you have been asking, hey, what's going to happen on that big day for the SEC championship? Dog Nation got something big planned for that day? You better believe that we do. And that's one of those things where <laughs> I'm still getting you know kinds of – you know, like you have to have a thousand meetings about everything that you do, of course, and these meetings are ongoing. But pretty soon, I'm going to be given the green light. We can tell you all about that. Really, really fun stuff coming. A great, great chance to uh, celebrate a big, big season for Georgia that could be, for the most part, just getting started come uh, December with all the big games still yet to come after that. So we'll do all of that in the uh, time to come. And won't that be a great thing? From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. It's a uh, practice report presented by Georgia Farm Bureau. Um, how you doing? Good to have you with us. Thanks for your time. Oh, I'm doing great, DA. You know, we got Kirby on the presser in about uh, nine minutes. But yeah. I'll tell you, I saw the same thing you did. The Michigan-Michigan State thing is just uh, it, it, it's, it's fearful. It's frightening that this committee has enough power to overlook a head-to-head matchup less than 10 days before and say, you know what? We saw Team A beat Team B, but we still think Team B is better. It just goes to show you the power, the autonomy, and the lack of accountability that this committee has. And it also tells you what this is all about. They can literally make the rules up as they go along. This is what Kirby Smart told us in 2018. The metrics can shift at any time. And uh, you know, to me, this should be the final blow. This should be the death blow to the college football playoff committee. I mean, in, in their, their defense that, oh, this is great, this is making people talk, 
this this is not great. This is this is sad, and this is exactly what we don't need in college football. Well, I think it's just a reminder that, and listen, I'm a huge Georgia fan. I want Georgia in this playoff, and I just think Georgia's going to make sure it takes care of its own business. If you leave something in the hands of the committee, there's no telling what they might do. Inconsistent with how Michigan, Michigan State was handled in comparison to how Oregon, Ohio State was handled. Head-to-head matters in one case, doesn't matter in the other. The point is, is there's no defining logic that's going to determine the behavior of the committee. Uh, as good as George has been, they better keep winning if they truly want to guarantee their spot in the college football playoff. I wouldn't trust the committee to make the right decision if George were to trip up come December. I totally agree with you, B.A. I, I think in 2018 they kept Georgia out because they didn't want a Georgia-Alabama rematch, not good for TV. Uh, and I'm with you 100%, even though it, it would certainly seem that Georgia would be safe and, and could take that late-season bullet. Uh, you, you, if you want to control your destiny, then, then you have to win. And I think, I think that's Kirby's mindset. I think he got burned by it once, certainly. Um, you know, he sounds very aggressive this week. If you heard the hunting analogy that he made going up to Tennessee, they just asked him about the weather. He, he starts talking about, you know, hunting. Well, all right. When Kirby says, when he uses the word hunger, I, I think we all know where that goes. I think if you know, you know, if you've seen the video. And uh, that's a hungry football coach and a hungry football team. Uh, you mentioned the weather. Let me ask you about that because you obviously lived in Knoxville for a long time. 30s, 40 degree temperatures, that's something that a lot of these Georgia players have never played in before. But I guess I'm of the belief it's not quite cold enough to really be a huge impact in the game. I've been, for instance, in January in the Northeast for NFL games where the cold was so cold it actually hurt your body, and I'm guessing that is a tough thing to play in. My assumption is as cold as it's going to be on Saturday, it's not enough to impact the game. Is that kind of your belief? As I said before, you've obviously been in Knoxville in the cold before. How much of an impact do you think that could have on Saturday's game? Well, I mean, I just based it on the road trip Georgia made to Missouri last year. And, you know, we did the research then because Kirby was talking about the coldest game he played in. And and uh, it, last year's game with JT Daniels at Missouri was actually the coldest game that Georgia played in the SEC. And, and JT held up fine. Uh, I don't know why Stetson wouldn't. He actually runs the ball more. And it's not like he has a, you know, well-defined passing touch that would be affected. I, I think it would probably hurt Tennessee more than it would hurt Georgia, frankly. And uh, the Georgia players have shown me that that they're not going to let weather or any other outside distractions get in the way. So, I mean, do you think, because this would be Georgia's first trip to Knoxville in November, from your time there in the past, do you think that Tennessee has viewed the weather as a home field advantage for? I mean, how much in the typical conversation in Knoxville does the idea of playing at home in November, does the weather even come up? It is obviously a good bit farther north than Athens is. Yeah, it's really more about their schedule. They've always had a typically before this schedule change. They used to have a pretty soft November schedule with Vanderbilt and and Kentucky, uh, and so they have a you know a, a very good November record. But it had more to do with who they were playing uh, than than the weather factors. I, I don't think guys uh, from Tennessee uh, have any you know thicker blood or anything like that. I, I think really it's just more uh, a matter. And again, I, I think it would probably hurt Tennessee more because the only way Tennessee is going to beat Georgia. And I don't think they will, just to be clear. But but the only outside shot they would have would be with a incredible passing performance. They're not gonna they're not gonna run the ball and beat Georgia. And to me, cold weather uh, favors running teams. I know uh, you got to go in a minute, so I want to try to keep this uh, kind of quick. It's our Georgia Farm Bureau practice report with Mike Griffith here right now. 
Um, I know you got to get ready to go, but I have said this week that I kind of think this may be a little bit of a challenge for Georgia. I could still this I could still see this being a close game in the fourth quarter. These two teams played ten times. Tennessee's not competitive in the majority of those games, I don't believe. But could the right confluence of events occur on Saturday that makes this one put a little more pressure on Georgia than for the most part Georgia's dealt with in the regular season? I kind of think that's a possibility. Mike, what do you think about that? I think uh, Georgia's caught a lot of teams at the right time. You know, this is probably the you know really the first instance since the opener where they've caught a team that's kind of you know uh, got some fl- got some flow to it. In, in my opinion, and um, and the fact that Tennessee runs this unique offense. But hey, you know, on Dog Nation, I got a story up on this. Ba, I mean, Kirby's been preparing for this for three weeks. They've been taking periods up for three weeks to prepare for this up tempo offense. Uh, for the uh, receivers lining up near the sideline, all all the trickery. All, I mean, this is, is they're getting as prepared as they possibly can. Um, you look, Tennessee played Alabama close for a few quarters, so it's not outside the realm of possibility. Uh, look, the, the, in Georgia, quite frankly, has been a slow starting team. I mean, you know, if not for a fourth down conversion, they're probably trailing Missouri after one quarter at home, right? It's three to zero game in Jacksonville with three minutes left in the first half. Fourteen to seven against Kentucky. It, it's not like this offense has been elite. The defense certainly has, uh, but at some point, BA, what I predict and what I think will happen was will be Kirby will turn this offense loose to be a lead. And I, I think we'll see that, you know, once the receivers get healthy enough to justify a pass-first offense once again, that's what lends itself to a quarterback change. So you still think that's going to happen? Now, to be fair, when you talk about elite, and we'll finish with this, and you and I have been down this road a million times before. That I mean, Georgia is in the top ten nationally in offensive efficiency. That that you're straining to find stats that say that Georgia hasn't been elite offensively in comparison to uh, in, in comparison to other national championship contenders. But beyond that, so you are still of the belief that eventually Georgia turns back to JT Daniels at quarterback. That's actually what I find to be more interesting here. Make your case for that, and then we'll finish up here. Well, when you put George in passing situations, they're not good. I mean, if you look at SEC play and start going apples to apples, if you take out Clemson and UAB, two completely different defenses and compare JT to Stetson, it's not close. I mean, Stetson is 6 of 26 converting third down passes for first downs. 6 of 26. 6 of 26. JT is 10 of 11. Now, the trick is who can put Georgia in those third down situations where they have to pass? Do I think Tennessee can do that? Do I think Charleston Southern can do that? Do I think Georgia Tech can do that? No, no, no. But what happens when you find a team that, that can? And maybe there's not a team that can't. But I don't see Georgia's being just this dominator on the ground. What I saw was Stetson complete some nice passes and Stetson get fortunate on two or three. The throw to Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint could have easily been intercepted. The underthrow to Jermaine Burton, the throw behind to Donnie Mitchell. Uh, you know, JT had a pass tipped at the line of scrimmage. I uh, didn't realize it was tipped at the line of scrimmage until later. On the one that was behind the receiver, it really wasn't behind the receiver. It was tipped, uh, as Kirby said, ricocheted the line. So, But, again, Kirby knows what he's got. Georgia knows what they have. Right now they want to ground and pound, play the prevent offense, as someone said. And when you got a defense like this, I can't say as I blame them. But as you get receivers back, Demetrius Robertson back, Arian Smith back, perhaps George Pickens, Dominic Blaylock, that justifies having a pass first offense where you can see those explosive numbers that you saw when you led Vanderbilt 35 to zero or the South Carolina game where JT scored on the first two touchdown drives. Stetson came in through a pick. JT came back in, drove the ball for another touchdown. That's the body of work where it's been apples to apples so far. Uh, but right now the team's winning. 
And uh, I could understand why Kirby wouldn't make a change until he feels like he needs to. Mike, appreciate you being here. I know you got to run. you got a lot to do. Thanks for being here as part of a Georgia Farm Bureau practice report. We'll look forward to uh, speaking to you soon. And obviously, a lot of fun stuff coming from you in the days to come at DogNation.com. Appreciate your time, and thanks for being flexible thanks, with us. All right, good stuff there from Mike Griffith. As we said before, that's Georgia Farm Bureau practice report. And obviously, for so many folks, um, they turn to Georgia Farm Bureau for one of the most important things that you deal with. As a person who's out there running around trying to work and get things done, your vehicle is the thing that you use to get where you need to go. And that's where Georgia Farm Bureau can really step in for you because they understand that you want dependable transportation. And part of that is dependable auto insurance coverage for the transportation that you depend on. That means you want an auto insurance provider that keeps its promises to you. And that's what Georgia Farm Bureau has been doing for such a long time. Go back to like the 1950s. That's what Georgia Farm Bureau has been doing for Georgians. They live and they work and they participate in life in communities just like yours all across our great state of Georgia. That is what Georgia Farm Bureau can do. So I want you to find out more about them. I want to check out gfbinsurance.com. That's gfbinsurance.com. It'll get you in touch with Georgia Farm Bureau. You can find out why they've always been the home team and always will be the home team for folks right here in the state of Georgia, taking care of you for auto insurance and so much else there as well. gfbinsurance.com for a lot more on that. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, we're ready to go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Boy, what a great time that is to get back on the seas right now. Royal Caribbean ships sailing to all the great destinations they go to, including the one we've told you about before, Perfect Day Coco Cay. That's that private island in the uh, Bahamas that is uh, only available to those on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. The only ships that sail there are those from Royal Caribbean. So when you take a Royal Caribbean cruise, so many of those cruise itineraries include a stop there at Perfect Day Coco Cay. And if we can bring that music down just a little bit, but um, the uh, the only um, the only ships that sail there are from Royal Caribbean. So great time to get away. Great time to be a part of that. Really, really fun things going on. And listen, if you plan a Royal Caribbean vacation, you want to use an expert to help you plan that vacation. It doesn't cost you any extra. It's free to do this uh, to, to help you plan that vacation. You want folks who know all the ins and outs of Royal Caribbean. You want folks who can take care of that for you. That's where my friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority step to the plate. The Cruise and Vacation Authority, a couple of UGA alumni who run the place. But they've also been on Royal Caribbean ships so many times. All the things that can make your Royal Caribbean vacation the best it can possibly be. You get that from the Cruise and Vacation Authority. So let me give you a couple of ways that you can get in touch with them. First of all, the website, tcava.com. It's tcava.com. You can find them there, or you can give them a call, 770-952-8300. That's 770-952-8300. Trust folks who know how to book the best Royal Caribbean vacations for you. They'll choose the right ship. Um, they'll, they'll do all that for you. I'm now hearing myself not quite as loud as I was. Um, let's, uh, but... 770-952-8300 it's 770-952-8300 that'll get you in touch with the cruise and vacation authority you can get yourself a uh, royal caribbean vacation uh book there today all right let's talk for a moment here but the college football playoff top 25 that was uh re-released last night and for the most part this was a tricky scenario for the committee because there was such a weird saturday this past weekend where the of, of the top contenders the only team that really played like a contender was, for the most part, Georgia. Number two team, Alabama, did not look great. Michigan State lost. Cincinnati did not look great against Tulsa. You can go on and on with those teams that are congregated near the top, and nobody other than Georgia really made much of a case for themselves. And so you're the committee. you got to justify having the TV show. You fly the entire ESPN college football crew to New York City 
to stick them there at Madison Square Garden in between the two college basketball games last night. So you got to do something to justify the TV program. But the most recent results from the college football weekend don't give you much to work with. They just don't don't give you much. So it was, I was actually a little curious to see how the committee handled this. You knew they would contrive some controversy somehow, some way, and they did. Let me show you these rankings on the screen here for a moment. I want to roll through the uh, top 25 from last night. You'll see Georgia remains at number one. You'll see Alabama at number two. If we can show this on the screen, the top 25, uh, you'll see Georgia at number one. You'll see Alabama once again at number two. You see Cincinnati moving up to number four. I should say number five. They moved from uh, they moved from six to five. Uh, you see Oregon now at number three. Ohio State there at number four. And the most controversial thing that the committee did last night was putting Michigan ahead of Michigan State, despite the fact that Michigan State beat Michigan like two weeks ago. That um, uh, this was the most controversial decision that the committee made. Now, I am not one of these guys that believes that head-to-head results should be the argument ender. It should be a big facet of the debate between two teams. Uh, it may should be the the single most important when all other things are equal. But a head-to-head result in of itself doesn't end a debate for me. However, I still found what the committee did last night to be a little bit weird on the basis of the fact these two teams played just a couple of weeks ago and Michigan's now back ahead of Michigan State, whereas just above that at the three and four spot, you've got Oregon ahead of Ohio State because Oregon apparently has a head-to-head win. I don't think anybody could say that week-to-week Oregon's been better than Ohio State, but they did beat them head-to-head. So it seems like conflicting criteria for why Michigan is ahead of Michigan State despite having lost head-to-head versus the Spartans, whereas Oregon's ahead of Ohio State despite the fact that Ohio State, at least on the basis of efficiency metrics and things like that, has been the more consistent week-to-week team. Now, Ohio State's strength of schedule is not great, but their weekly performance, I think most people would tell you, has just simply been better than Oregon's, but Oregon gets the nod there when it comes to the head-to-head. Now, you may say, well, B.A., I don't care about Oregon, I don't care about these Big Ten teams, don't care about any of this, so why does this matter to me? Let me tell you why. You should be very, very careful for a moment with those people who tell you, well, Georgia's a shoe-in to make the college football playoff, even if it loses the SEC championship game. I simply still don't believe that's true. They might still get in. Georgia could lose the SEC title game and still make the college football playoff. That might still happen. And logic arguably dictates that it should still happen. Georgia's been so much better than everybody else. One loss, even if it's the most recent game, shouldn't knock Georgia out of contention. But the committee shows you something. Even last night when they probably only put Michigan ahead of Michigan State just to give the TV crew something to talk about. That's probably the only real reason why they did this. But it's still a little bit of a window in the thought process of the committee. Or in this particular case, maybe a lack of thought process. This has not ever been a body that values logic very much. Nor do they feel much of an obligation to ever really explain themselves. That if you really ask uh, uh, Gary Barta, the current uh, committee chairman, if you were to ask him, well, how come the differences here in evaluation head-to-head matters for Oregon against Ohio State, but doesn't matter for Michigan in comparison to Michigan State? My guess is the answer you would get would just be a little bit of a shrug. Eh, you know, it's just what we thought. That this committee doesn't feel much of an obligation to explain itself. And by this committee, I mean uh, year to year. The, the names change, but the actual actions don't change very much. Committee doesn't feel much of a need to explain themselves, nor do they feel much of an obligation to be bound by logic or, or reason. That's just not 
what it is. They are the all-powerful dictators of this sport, and they're simply going to do what they want to do. So if you're going to use logic and reason to determine that Georgia should still make the playoff if it loses the SEC championship close to Alabama or possibly Texas A&M because they've clearly been the best team all season long, good luck getting the committee to use logic. They might. They might not. Ultimately, they're going to do whatever they want to do. A couple more things here. When you see those rankings, something else that comes to mind for you. There are a few teams that I think most of America wanted to discard at one point in time that I don't think you can discard here at all. One of those is the aforementioned Michigan. We said this after the loss to Michigan State, that people kind of started back up with the Harbaugh jokes again and, ah, Michigan's you know, uh, always going to lose the big games. And they play Penn State on Saturday. They may lose uh, again. Michigan may truly not be capable of, uh, of winning enough to, to justify its position but right now, Michigan is still very much in the discussion for the college football playoff, even with a loss. There's a lot of backloaded schedules in the Big Ten East. The biggest games in that division, the biggest games in that conference are still yet to be played. And Michigan, despite the fact that Harbaugh is kind of once again the butt of jokes, they are still part of the college football playoff conversation. Can I see those rankings again, if you don't mind, because I want to point out something else to you. When Notre Dame lost to Cincinnati, there was also this thought of, well, there you go, that's Notre Dame. They're knocked out of this thing. But look at where the Irish is right now, sitting at nine, just behind Oklahoma. I know that it's going to be very hard to put Notre Dame in the playoff as long as Cincinnati remains unbeaten because Cincinnati did beat Notre Dame. But as I said before, the committee is going to do what it wants to do. I kind of think that Notre Dame is still part of this discussion. There's a lot of backloaded schedules in the Big Ten East. The biggest games in that division, the biggest games in that conference are still yet to be played. And Michigan, despite the fact that Harbaugh is kind of once again the butt of jokes, they are still part of the college football playoff conversation. Can I see those rankings again, if you don't mind? Because I want to point out something else to you. When Notre Dame lost to Cincinnati, there was also this thought of, well, there you go, that's Notre Dame. They're knocked out of this thing. But look at where the Irish is right now, sitting at nine, just behind Oklahoma. I know that it's going to be very hard to put Notre Dame in the playoff as long as Cincinnati remains unbeaten because Cincinnati did beat Notre Dame. But as I said before, the committee is going to do what it wants to do. I kind of think that Notre Dame is still part of this discussion. I'd also say for Texas A&M at 11. Yes, I realize that A&M's lost twice and we haven't had a two-loss team in the college football playoff before. A&M needs some help. They need Auburn to beat Alabama. If they do, they're in the uh, SEC championship game. And with that team, the way that it's been playing as of late in the SEC title game, I don't think you can discount Texas A&M as a non-college football playoff contender, even if they're only a fringe contender here at the uh, moment. What happens with Cincinnati, I don't really know. They did move up a spot. Michigan State, you know, they're still obviously very much in the mix there as well. They do play a Purdue team, or I should say they lost Purdue, and then um, the the the, the the point here is Michigan State's kind of still in that discussion there a little bit too, although eventually I think they're going to take care of that themselves by by losing some games here before it's all said and done. So very interesting stuff from the College Football Playoff Selection Committee last night, and certainly I think a window into the lack of consistency this body is going to show, and if you're using what you think they might do as a basis for saying what's going to be true for Georgia – then gets a mistake. The bottom line of all this discussion is Georgia needs to keep winning its games to make sure it's got a shot uh, and controls its own destiny by handling its business to make sure that in the uh, college football uh, playoff. Hey, I want to tell you a couple things here really quickly. Um, I want to uh, give you an update on a cool new uh, awesome opportunity coming 
uh, there in the Stonecrest area, grand opening of a, of a big fun thing called Sequest at Stonecrest. Let me tell you about this. First of all, it rhymes. That makes it cool. But let me tell you about the Sequest at Stonecrest. Now, I've got kids. This sounds really fun. It's opened up now. The Sequest at Stonecrest. It's a land and sea adventure. It's an exciting journey around the planet with 20,000 square feet of adventure where you're invited to touch, feed, and interact with animals from five different continents. This is an amazing thing. I know my kids would love this. It's a terrific family outing. You've know, got school breaks coming up here. A chance to uh, to be a part of that. You know, we get the Thanksgiving break here coming in pretty soon. You're out of school in December coming up after that. I know my family would love this, and I know that yours would there as well. So find out some more information about the Sequest at Stonecrest. The website to go to is stonecrest.visit. Uh, visitsequest.com once again that's stonecrest.visitsequest.com and you can plan your visit you can purchase some tickets you can do a lot of uh, great things right there for all of that all right always a uh, nice time to uh, finish up with a uh, golden shoe and obviously our attention is on tennessee for saturday and our buddy uh, mad dog uh very funny edition of that of course uh, mad dog's always great at coming up with so many cool edits and he's won so many golden shoes and today he kind of touches on the jordan davis theme and gets the uh, tennessee vols involved here as well of course you're heading up to those smoky mountains on saturday and that's obviously kind of on mad dog's mind here he gives you the rocky top tennessee he says dog nation daily coming soon to knoxville beat tennessee hashtag jd to nyc boy you love to see that great job by mad dog on that and of course so many times our golden shoe winners also part of our gator hater roll call we love seeing those gator haters show up here each and every day we believe that a good georgia fan is a gator hater first and foremost and that means we're already thinking ahead to next year's game for georgia against florida in fact it's 353 days from right now that's 353 days right now that's our gator hater countdown we'll see you tomorrow right here on dog nation daily and on the podcast time now for the rs andrews podcast cool down we're gonna take a couple quick comments and uh we'll get ready to roll out of here after this and it's kind of funny I got a criticism in the comment section that I didn't expect to get. I mean, I'm going to read the full thing here. So Bubba Bill writes in to say, I- I'm curious as to which of JT stats has you so enamored. Is it his one third down conversion, 11 attempts against Cincinnati, or his 30 pass attempts against Clemson for 135 yards? Maybe it's his negative five yard average rushing or his six touchdowns to three interceptions ratio. There's absolutely no measurable stat that is even slightly close to the mailman, which is why Stetson has the highest quarterback rating in the SEC and smothers JT. Please give it a break and quit sowing so much negative seeds. You and Mike Griffith are the absolute worst when it comes to selling your favorite quarterback, who is not our best, go dogs. Is that really how y'all experience me? Um, I feel like I've been pretty clear on this, and that's why I'm a little bit surprised to see Bubba Bill's criticism here. Um, I can't speak for Mike one way or another, but I feel like I've been pretty clear about this, that I have a hunch and a suspicion that JT's probably the better of the two quarterbacks. I'm not going to apologize for having an opinion. It is my opinion. But I have also said, and I feel like I've been fairly open about this, that the statistical evidence arguing for JT Daniels is a bit lacking. I feel like I've made that point many times. Now, I think you can thin slice anything and come up with whatever argument that you want to, but I feel like I've acknowledged many times that that if you want to make the case that I think people assume, well, that Daniels is is the better of, of, of the two, that the actual statistical evidence doesn't argue for that as much as you might think. I, th- I think I've said that o- over and over again. But also I've, been, I've made it very clear many times that I'm okay with whoever Kirby Smart plays at quarterback. I think that he's earned the right to make this decision. He's earned the right to, to – to, 
to do whatever. I just think that 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 he's earned that right. I, you know, Bubba Bill, I'm always open to criticism and critique, and I'm always willing to listen to it. But I have to say that some criticisms feel like they stick a little bit more than others. I honestly don't know what you're referencing from me on this, but um, I think you're arguing with me about a point that I don't believe I've ever made. So uh, thanks for trying. Uh, Judge Dog 31 writes in to say, let's be honest, when Saban said what he said last spring, that was an offensive league. You agree with him. My, how things have changed. William R. It's probably fair to say that I had pushed Georgia in the direction of what Alabama and LSU had been. I don't think you're wrong for saying that. Um, I think that if anything, it's Kirby Smart who deserves the credit here, not not me one way or another. That uh, Kirby Smart has changed some. You know, he's become more open to offensive innovation. Clearly, Todd Munkin's brought some of that in. But Smart hasn't sacrificed the physicality of his entire program to be more explosive in offense. In other words, he hasn't sold his soul here just so he can score 50 points. Because once you let that finesse brand of the sport creep into what you're doing, it's hard to get it out. It's, I mean, that's what you know, Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M, has dealt with for a number of years at Texas A&M. You go back and look at the Kevin Sumlin era. Texas A&M, former Big 12 team, that Big 12 stench has still kind of been on it, a, a league that just doesn't value physicality. And it's been a slow transformation for Jimbo Fisher trying to make A&M feel more like an SEC team. Georgia obviously feels as SEC as any team does, and they're trying to be better offensively without losing the physicality. So you're right, William. <clears throat> You know, uh, I may have been partially wrong on this, but the good news for Georgia fans is it appears that, that Kirby Smart might have gotten it right. So uh, good stuff. Now, offense is still a big part of trying to win a championship. It, it still is. Georgia is better offensively than it has been before, but Georgia's also not apparently sacrificed as much of its defense and its overall physical edge as a way of trying to uh, win a championship. So very interesting comments. Appreciate you being here on the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. Find R.S. Andrews online at rsandrews.com for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. We appreciate you being here today. We will see you back here tomorrow, tomorrow for more Dog Nation Daily. Talk to you then, everybody.